Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. We're in a series, if you're visiting, called Finishing Strong. We said it's not how you start, it's how you finish. You could have a lousy start and have a great finish. It's not too late for God to turn it around. And you can have a great start and have a lousy finish. Well, I hope it's in your heart and mind to finish well, to run this race, to win it. I don't want to lose it. I want to win this thing. So we're going to use the text we've used for seven weeks. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. So Paul writes, remember that in a race, everybody runs, but only one gets the prize. You, believer, run in such a way that you will win. Run to win. I'm not in this thing to play around. I'm serious about it. I want to win the race of life for whatever purpose God's called you or me. I want to succeed at it. He said, all athletes practice strict self-control. Now, they do it to win a prize that will rust and fade away. But we believers do it for an eternal prize. So I run straight to the goal line with purpose in every step. I hope the Cowboys can do that this year. I am not like a boxer who misses his punches. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Thomas Carlyle wrote, the greatest fault is to be conscious of none. You got faults. Everybody's got faults. So today I want to introduce a guy, a king named Uzziah. He would be characterized as a successful man by any culture. He'd be right up there with Elon Musk, Jeff Bullis, what's his name? Bo Bezos, sorry, B-E-Z, Be Bezos, and uh, his Amazon Prime truck. Amazing how the guy started in his garage, and now he got trucks all over the world driving and delivering. It's amazing what can happen. But all these different guys who became notable and ultimately uh, billionaires in life, he would rank right up there at the top with any of them. Dr. John Johnson writes, success is attaining cultural goals that are sure to elevate one's perceived importance in the culture. Notice that word perceived. He says success doesn't actually elevate your importance. It elevates your perceived importance. That's it. When people are successful by the world's standards, they experience an elevation in at least one or three areas, power, prestige, and wealth. Power, for example, having your commands obeyed, having your wishes granted. I remember Lee Iacocca when he was working at Ford who developed the Mustang. He said, you always knew when you had arrived as a top executive at Ford. That was the day you were handed a key to the executive washroom. Hey, it's just a key, Sparky, but it gave you a little more status, a little more clout. It's a sign of exchange power in that company. And then privilege. It means you enjoy special perks, special rights, or favor 
No line to stand in. Concierge key members may board first at your convenience. We'll wipe off your shoes as you approach the gate. All right? You don't have to stand. You get to use the VIP entrance. You can get a suite, not a room. Got phones in the bathroom, a jacuzzi, mints on your pillow. Or you get a room key that allows you exclusive access to the concierge key room where free food and beverages are served. Whoa, I got a key. Look at me. And third, wealth. Wealth. One credit card company, I won't say their name, starts with AX, but anyway, <laughs> they offer three cards in three different colors. Check your, check your wallet. The green card will take you from zero to 1500 bucks in about 3.5 seconds. But wait, there's more. They have a gold card. And clever ads on TV lead you to believe it's only for those who are fiscally responsible and mature. But wait, there's more. There's a platinum card. It makes gold card users feel like low-class citizens. <laughs> now, it doesn't really do much more than the other two. The green card is 150 bucks a year. The gold card's 250 bucks a year. But the platinum card is $695 a year. But there's more. Then there's the black card. That's for the wealthiest clients who meet certain net worth and spending requirements. So why would people pay that? Well, basically it makes them feel as though they have had an elevation in their status. So when the world is talking about success, it's talking about an elevation of status. Well, the guy we're looking at today is King Uzziah. He would have impressed you no end, especially in our success-obsessed culture. He enjoyed power, privilege, and wealth. He was a black card kind of a guy. When Solomon died, the nation of Israel split. Ten tribes formed the northern kingdom called Israel, and the other two tribes, the southern kingdom called Judah. So Uzziah is the tenth king on the throne in Judah following Solomon. And I read from 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 1. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, made him king in the place of his father Amaziah. Verse 3, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. So Uzziah had a long race, and he came out of the starting blocks faster than anybody. Notice verse 4 and 5. It says, And he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. And he continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding through visions from God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. And may I say, God will prosper you. God says, He that honoreth me, him will I honor. Think about that. It has an impact on you, unbelievable. Now, this kid, you got to admit, is unusual. Not your average teenager. The guy's got a heart for God. He did his absolute best to live a life pleasing to God. He obviously wasn't influenced by teenage peer pressure or Britney Spears. He, he had great values. He had right priorities right from the start. And this kid kept up the pace a long, long time. In chapter 26 of Second Chronicles, 
it gives Uzziah a very impressive resume. It says he was the one who rebuilt Elah and restored it to Judah after Amaziah uh, died with his ancestors. He went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jabna, and Ashdod. And then he rebuilt towns near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal and against the Meunites and the Ammonites and the Mosquitoites. <laughs> wow. And they all brought tribute, that's gold and money and gifts, to Uzziah. And his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the angle of the wall, and he fortified them. He also built towers in the wilderness, and he dug many wells because he had a lot of livestock in the foothills and in the plains. He had people work in his fields and his vineyards in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Uzziah had a well-trained army ready to go out by divisions according to their numbers as mustered by Jeel, the secretary, and Massaniah, uh, the officer under the direction of Hananiah. How about Tom Jones or Fred Smith? These are tongue-twisting names. One of the royal officials. So the total number of family leaders over the fighting men was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 men trained for war, powerful force to support the king against all of his enemies. Uzziah even provided shields, spears, helmets, coats of armor, bows, and sling stones for the entire army. In Jerusalem, he made devices invented for use on the towers and on the corner defenses so soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. Notice, he restored the coastal city of Elah. That was a strategic naval base, a key industrial center. It was critical to the economic future of Judah. Verse 6 says he defeated major enemy cities, but he also then rebuilt them for their, their use, for Judah's use. Verse 7 and 8 remind us he defeated some of the long-time enemies of his people that had been their enemies for generations. He blew them away. Verse 9 says, the king oversaw huge construction projects in the capital city. So this guy, Uzziah, was a visionary. He was a builder. Verse 10 says he built fortresses outside of Jerusalem to protect his holdings of livestock. So he was a planner and an administrator. He knew how to get stuff done. Verse 11 and 13 say he reorganized Judah's military to make it more effective. He went after a bloated military bureaucracy. That would help today. And when he finished, he had a powerful, efficient fighting force with state-of-the-art technology. So today, Uzziah would be called an entrepreneur, a super achiever. His picture would be on Time or Newsweek magazine. So it's no surprise that verse 15 says, because of this, his fame spread abroad. He would be on Good Morning Jerusalem. He would write self-help books, Seven Habits of Pleased and Prosperous Palace People, 
This guy's got it going. No other king of Israel or Judah, with the exception of Solomon, ever accomplished as much. But verse 15 is the pivotal verse in the life of this guy, Uzziah, since we're talking about finishing strong. It says, hence his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped until, until he was strong. Notice that word, until. Kind of scary. It means something is about to happen. Something is about to change. It's kind of like the movie Jaws. Everybody's happy, frolicking, screaming, shouting, drinking, and laying in the sun. And then you hear. <laughs> Something is about to change. I'm not getting in the bathtub. And you know, you hear that, and, and if you're in the audience, you know something different is about to happen, right? But until can have a good meaning. For lots of us who, who are barreling down an expressway to hell, living totally for ourselves with no thought of God until we met the Lord Jesus. But it's not all untils that are good. And Uzziah's until wasn't. Remember, earlier in the chapter, it says, Uzziah did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. So Uzziah was God's man. He's ruling well over Judah, and the smile of God's favor was over everything he did. What a great way to live. Verse 15 says, he was marvelously helped, meaning God was giving him favor until until something happened, until something changed, until he turned in another direction, until he chose to remove himself from God's protection and God's power. He started so well. He climbed high, but he did not finish well. He crashed and burned. Verse 16 says, but when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. That verse should scare everybody. It should. It's another one of those stories about a man who had everything going for him, but ended up throwing it all away and headed in another direction. It's a, a kind of insanity that hits this man in the middle life part of his, of his life, midlife crisis maybe. How did this guy get so far off course and get shot down over enemy territory. And you notice whether it's celebrities, movie stars, musicians, famous pop stars, uh, athletes, ministers. It's funny how they get so popular, so quick, and so proud. Now they suddenly feel entitled. Everybody owes me. Comp my meal. Uh, take my bags. I expect you to serve me. I don't expect to serve. I expect you to pay for me. But that didn't come when they got into the business. But somehow getting successful in the business made them start feeling entitled. Heart starting to get puffed up. A little bit of pride in here. So three, three big reasons for Uzziah's fall. Number one, he began to spend more time and attention on all the external stuff rather than the eternal stuff. Some call it the barrenness of a busy life. We're so busy trying to get ahead, make a living, succeed, we forget 
True success has a lot more to do with who we are than what we accomplish. We've said before, God's more interested in who you are becoming than what you're doing. He cares about what you're doing, but more concerned about what you're becoming. And if what you're doing in the eyes of the world is successful, but you're destroying your life, your relationship with God, your marriage, your children, you suck. That's in the Greek. I think it's in the Hebrew too. Uzziah's busyness and tight deadlines gradually, not overnight, gradually began to give his relationship with God a lower and lower priority. And as a result, God's being squeezed right out of his heart and out of his life. I I don't think it was intentional, but that's how it happens, little by little. Secondly, Uzziah's character didn't keep up with his talent. See, one of the things about raising children is that you can't impart to them what you don't possess. I can't expect something out of my kids that doesn't exist in my own heart. You know, character isn't something you demand. It's more something you model. And if you're spending your life chasing external accomplishments rather than internal character, brother, it will show in time. And your kids will see your superficial Christianity and your emptiness long before you do. In other words, your talent can take you where your character can't keep you, and you'll fall back. Third, he was tripped up by his own success. Success is like ice, beautiful, smooth, looks clean, it's cool, but there aren't many men who can walk on ice without falling flat on their rear. Too many accomplishments, too much recognition coming at you too soon can have tragic consequences. And Uzziah, like millions of others, couldn't handle it. Dr. Warren Wiersbe once said when I was in a conference, if God puts something in my hand without first doing something in my heart, my character will lag behind my accomplishments and that will lead to destruction. Always true. So scripture says of Uzziah, when he became strong, his heart was so proud, he acted corruptly. I'm thinking, dude, how did you get there? Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit, I'm better than you, before a fall, always. Now, there's a pride that's not wrong. I'm proud of my daughter, proud of my son. But a wrong pride says, I am the best. I have to be number one. Notice me, look at me. C.S. Lewis wrote, if you don't think you struggle with pride, you are the proudest person of all and you're in great danger. And you have to wrestle with it every day. At some point, at some point, Uzziah began to shift his confidence from God to his talent and his accomplishments and the strength of his military power. Verse 16, his heart was so proud he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So in the insanity of his pride and his presumption, Uzziah charges into the temple, totally forbidden by God. Only the priest could offer incense before the Lord. And Uzziah was raised right. He knew that. C.S. Lewis says, pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Yet blinded by pride, Uzziah did the unthinkable. He knew the scriptures, and he knew God's law that forbade anybody from burning incense in 
in the altar except the priest. Uzziah knew better, but he was blind. Hey, when you're proud, rules don't apply to me. They apply to you. They don't apply to me. Oh, well, that's where he was. And let me give you some symptoms of pride. I'm sure nobody has it. Arrogance. Don't you hate arrogance? I hate snotty, haughty people, arrogant, whether it's an airport or a line or, for, or listening to them talk. Well, I live in the 08 zip code. You poor peons. I'm special. No, you're arrogant. That's all. I have another word for you, but I can't use that one here, okay? It's defined by the dictionary as being haughty, high-minded. It's an old French word which means high. See, we get haughty when we think too high of ourselves. We become arrogant when we convince ourselves, I deserve certain perks and privileges. And then we get angry or mad or bitter when certain privileges don't come our way. Like, I didn't get mints on my pillow. Or somebody took my parking place. Or somebody's in our seat and we always sit there. Or somebody forgot to acknowledge my part in something that we did. Or if you don't see your name when the credits roll, you get bent all out of shape. Calm down, Sparky. Get a grip on your life. You're not that important. Nobody is. One day God says, Jesus said, I can make these rocks praise me if you don't. He said, I'm not dependent on you. And second, another symptom of that, of that pride is an aversion to accountability. Nobody tells me what to do. Verse 17 through 19 says, Then Azariah the priest entered after Uzziah into the temple and took 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they opposed King Uriah the king and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but it's the job for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary. For you have been unfaithful, and you will have no honor from the Lord God. Boy, from the high, high, he couldn't get any lower. So how did Uzziah respond to these valiant priests of the Lord? Eighty of them. Listen to verse 19. But Uzziah, with the censer still in his hand, was enraged. He is mad. They're telling him he cannot be in the temple offering incense on the altar. So there's no accountability in this man's life. All fallen leaders have in common, somewhere in their lives, they brushed aside any accountability. See, willingness to explain your action is being accountable. And I've seen it in politics. We've seen it in city government. We've seen it with celebrities. We've seen it with uh, presidents and politicians. I'm above the law. No, you're not above the law. See, that's, that's what happens in our heart when we get proud. Nobody will get, and boy, the more successful you get, the quieter around you people get. Don't want to tell you what you need to hear. Want to tell you what you want to hear. Listen, if you're going to succeed and win this race, somebody better tell you what you need to hear. If three people call you a donkey, you better buy a saddle today. Go to Cavender, get you a saddle. They're not wrong. Three different people from three different places. Somebody's seeing something you won't see. So how do you respond when you are challenged or confronted by righteous authority who dares to ask you, 
What are you doing? Why are you acting this way? See, those kinds of friends are like guardrails on the highway of life so you can finish, finish strong. If Uzziah had simply walked out of that temple, said, you're right, I'm wrong. When he was rebuked by the priest, he could have walked out a better man who could have finished well in life and we wouldn't even be preaching this message. He would have been unmarked, unblemished, but he did not. Verse 19 and verse 21. But Uzziah, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, became enraged. And while he was enraged, can't you hear him screaming at the priest? Don't you know who I I am the king? Well, leprosy broke out on his forehead in front of the priest in the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Notice four terrible consequences to this guy's pride. Uzziah is struck with leprosy for the rest of his life. Second, he lived in quarantine the rest of his life, cut off from friends, servants, family, privileges, and nobody waiting on him. What a shock. Third, he's cut off from the temple. He's excluded for the rest of his life. Dr. D.L. Moody said, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. Boy, that's true. That's what pride will do to you, self-sufficient. Fourth, Isaiah was buried near the kings, but not with them. Verse 23 says, Uzziah rested with his fathers and was buried near them in a field for burial that belonged to the kings, for the people said he had leprosy. Even in death, this guy's memory is being dishonored. And that's the way it usually works, doesn't it? Maybe they wrote the best-selling book. They preached at great conferences. Or they were on hundreds of radio stations, TV stations. Maybe they passed great pieces of legislation in Washington. And yet, what do we remember them for? Oh, Watergate, Monica Lewinsky, bribery, caught with prostitutes, embezzlement, and scandal. Way to go, Sparky. Way to go. Hey, It can happen to anybody. See, I don't want to be remembered that way after I die, for God's sake, no. I'd like Cindy to put on my tombstone, at least he tried. Yeah. I want to finish well. I want to go the distance. I hope you do as well as I do. God has that for you. He wants you to win. Run to win. So what can we learn from Uzziah and we wrap it up? First, external accomplishments are a false indicator of true success. Now, we all do it. We all probably know better. We judge by what we see. You know, we we form conclusions based on an outward appearance. So we're warned by God. Be careful. In 1 Samuel 16, he told the prophet, don't you consider these kids' appearance or his height? I've rejected him. For the Lord does not look at things the way man does. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, you can see a flashy car, oh, beautiful house, or you can look at somebody's suit or their dress or their purse or uh, accoutrements, accomplishments or talent, but you can't see what's going on inside, right? I mean, I remember, was it a couple of years ago, we saw a guy arrested in the Dominion who lived in the Dominion, and you must be successful to live in the Dominion, really, He didn't have all his bills paid. He was robbing all the houses in Dominion. 
in order to support his lavish lifestyle. He wasn't what he appeared to be. But we drove by and say, oh, my God, look at that. I wish I had what he had. Well, you can get it if you want to steal from your neighborhood. I used to watch that program when it was on, Airplane Repo. Any of you guys ever watch that? Yeah. No. Oh, repo. Yeah, man, they go after these guys flying these big jets, got this beautiful blonde with long hair in his Lamborghini driving out. You thought, oh, this dude's got it made. No, he's got all these guys in the bushes waiting to get his jet and his Lamborghini because he's six months past due. Hadn't paid his bill, can't pay his bill. I watched them repossess yachts. But I'm saying if we walked by, we'd say, oh, my gosh, look at them. We had empty an empty suit. What, all that glitters is not gold. I think I told this story one time to my wife. Uh, I was at the airport waiting on bags, and this uh, lady walked up next to me waiting for her bag, and I noticed she had this beautiful purse, and it, it had clear plastic. This several years ago. Uh, I guess it was a new style by Louis Vuitton, and I, I just was, I thought, man, I'm thinking for Cindy. I'm thinking, that's pretty. I think she might like it. It's a summer purse. And I know those things must be about 5000 bucks. And I told her that, and the lady looked at me and said, no. Nah. She said, I paid 99 bucks for it in Mexico. <laughs> it was a knockoff. I mean, half the Rolexes are knockoff. You don't know what's real or what's not anymore, right? We make judgments like that. Don't do that. Some kid drives off in a, a Corvette and... All the kids think he's an idol. That's daddy's money. He didn't earn that money. He couldn't work it. Probably couldn't get a job at Shop and Go, but daddy paid for it. And he's acting arrogant and haughty. You know, I have a pretty nice sports car that was given to me 10 years ago by a businessman. And when I happen to be driving it and somebody makes a nice compliment about that car, I instantly say, that was given to me as a gift. I couldn't afford that. I didn't buy that. Church didn't buy that. That was given to me. Now, that's humbling because I'd like to say, yeah, it is cool, ain't it? <laughs> if you be like me, you can have one of those. <laughs> no. Oh, somebody, if I gave it to you, you could drive around in it. But I hope you'd be at least humble enough to say, no, nah, it was given to me. It was a gift, right? But nobody wants to say that because I want to elevate my status. Uzziah's contemporaries must have envied him, thinking he had it all together, wishing they could be what he was, have what he had, and they didn't know he's on his way to heartbreak and disaster. You never know. Second, we should be aware of spiritual indifference. You know, blindness to spiritual things doesn't come first. Arrogance and presumption don't come first. There's got to be something that provides the soil and nutrients for these toxic traits to emerge and grow. And that something is spiritual indifference. It's an ever so subtle fading of your love for Jesus. It's very slow. You're not seeking Jesus the way you used to do. You're not hungrily devouring the word like you once did. You're not enjoying the company of other believers the way you once did. You're not delighting in quiet talks with God when you're alone the way you once did. You're in the shadow, a long way from the sun, and you don't even know how you got there or how your heart became so cold. Hey, it's not too late to back out of that shade into sunlight. It's not too late to turn away from false standards of success 
and seek the Lord with all your heart. Be successful. God bless you to do that. But don't allow those external pursuits to diminish your love for Jesus and take you out of any kind of spiritual life and interaction with people, and you forget it is he who gives you the favor. See, Paul put it this way in Romans 12, verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I feel sorry for the people that didn't come back after COVID. They're going to stay at home, get cold as ice, and they won't know it, won't mean to, but slowly it will diminish their love for Jesus, diminish any interest in God's Word, so it gets harder and harder for God to speak to them. If you're in church, at least even in this one, God could say something to you, could kind of punch your conscience on one thing said. But when you're not here, when you neglect it, then you just think life is good and you're doing well, and God can't speak to you at all. Sometimes it's encouragement, sometimes it's rebuke, and sometimes we need both of them, don't we? Sure we do. So don't do that. Don't you neglect the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, Paul writes. Isaiah started great. He lived up to a lot of his potential, but he did not finish well. He got suckered by pride, and it can happen to anybody. C.S. Lewis writes, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Immorality, anger, drunkenness, greed, addiction, they're flea bites, he says, in comparison, because it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Proverbs 13.10 says, strife and contention cometh only by pride. Not sometimes, only by pride. Ask God to open your eyes and don't become defensive when he does. Ask God for the courage to face it and deal with it and crush it every day. Pride is lethal to our relationship with God and with each other. James writes, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In fact, one scripture says, humble yourself before God and he will exalt you. Exalt yourself and he will humble you. Now, I'm not real smart, but I'm thinking, I think I'll just drop. Yeah, I don't want the Lord to humble me. Let me humble myself before God. That's a good thing to do. We need that, especially if you enjoy a measure of position or power or connection in some way where people think you have status. You have to really be careful about Lord, humble yourself. You don't have to win every argument. You don't have to be number one. You don't have to be first to be noticed or recognized. Calm down. See, with every other struggle we face, sexual sins, addictions, anger, well, at least you know you got a problem. Even unsaved people far from God know they got a problem. But pride comes with a blind spot. They cannot see it. Pride is anti-community, anti-servanthood. It's a condition of the heart most fundamentally incompatible with love. Because Paul says love does not brag. And love is not proud. Pride whispers to you, be kind only to those people you can use. Pride causes me to be judgmental toward people with problems or who are less than me, who don't measure up to my spiritual expectation. It feeds my sense of spiritual superiority. It destroys my ability to love or love my neighbor, which is the darkest spiritual sickness of all. 
You know, when you wake up in the morning, when you open your eyes, and most of us did today, when you take a breath, you better know that's a gift from God and acknowledge your utter dependence on God and thank Him for everything He's done, everything He's doing, and everything you've got, whether it's little or much. Thank Him every day. Brag on Him every day. Don't get cold. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.